1,400 feet, still looking very good. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Beyond Hallyu podcast, finally, after a long time. Um, I'm here today with Sasha. Hello. It's just us two, but it's a bit of a, um, a different episode today, hopefully an enjoyable one. We're looking at what makes a K-pop song. Um, and I've been talking to a few composers and a few other people, and we'll introduce them as we go along. And we'll also have a wee chat about a wee chat. I'm so Scottish. <laughs> we'll have a wee chat. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have a little chat <laughs> as we go along. Just to to get us started I guess and then we'll go into our first our first interview what kind of thing is it you think Sasha that makes k-pop songs unique from other genres industries I would say the fact that it is it's gonna sound so bad me saying this as well no matter how much they try and change and put new things into it they're still pretty much stuck in the 90s <laughs> but i don't hate that i love that no i think that's why i listen to k-pop because i did not have a problem with 90s music in any way well it's like melody isn't it it's like a lot of western pop music's kind of gone away from melody in the last yeah t- five ten years and i mean you don't really get a lot of groups that are still doing dances or dance routines and comebacks yeah i think that i think it is like the the dance and the melodies are the main things that set k-pop apart for me so with that maybe we should go into our first um our first interview and that two swedish songwriters all the songwriters that i spoke to were european just by chance really but um these guys are from The Kennel, which is a publishing company based in Sweden. Uh, they're called Caesar and Louis, and they've written songs for Vix um, and Super Junior and a few others that they'll explain in their in their interview. So this is Caesar and Louis from The Kennel. Hi, so if you, could you introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell us some of the K-pop songs that you've produced? So I'm Caesar And I'm Louis. Yeah, so together we're Caesar and Louis. Yeah, we're based here in Stockholm, Sweden. And uh, we have a studio here. We work together every day. We're okay. signed to uh, a label called The Kennel. So we have a lot of connection with SM Entertainment. Uh, write a lot for their artists and other artists in Korea. And uh, what's, what songs have you produced um, that, that we and I might know? A song called Hide. Yeah, that was, that was our, our first uh, music video song, actually, yeah, that in, was in Korea. Movie. So it was a big step for us. Four Minute also. We were in two songs. One called Wait a Minute yeah. and Whatever. Yeah. And then uh, maybe the, the biggest song, Swing, with Super Junior. Can you tell us a bit about what kind of your process is for creating K-pop songs? Yeah, it, it's it's different every from every yeah. song, I think. But yeah. in every song, we like to have a, a theme. Like a, like in, in most of the K-pop songs, they have a really strong theme. Like like the title, uh, like Swing, or yeah. you know something to build the production on and, and the melodies. But yeah, sometimes it's just uh, like a groovy beat or sometimes beat, it's yeah. not groovy at all. So what do you think it is that is sort of the key elements of a good K-pop song in your experience? I don't know. It's, it's such a wide uh, genre of music over there. So it's like, it's hard to say what's like a good K-pop song. But for me, it would be great melodies. Also the variation, like when you get a lot of different yeah, mix, approaches, yeah. you know, we get the rap, you get the dance moves and the... And the, the melodies, and that's that's what's so so cool that they mix the the stuff so much. One of the things about Hyde, I remember it has quite a sort of distinctive dance. Is that something that you think about when you're writing the songs? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Of course, we, sometimes yeah. we do you know just instrumental parts for for the artists, and then we really have to just be you know thinking dance and rhythmic with track. Yeah, we try to dance ourselves <laughs> yeah we have, we actually did a dance for for the super junior ars when we did that song we we swung swung our like a baseball bat you know yeah. that's that's on the <laughs> on the listening party so they were laughing they're like yeah it's a cut just because we did that dance yeah maybe um out of the songs that you've worked on um what do you think is most representative of sort of what makes a good k-pop song it's a, yeah swing is one of our favorites and and the a song that we did for timing 
uh, Pretty Boy, it's called. So that one is maybe one of our favorites. Yeah. And Hyde, of course. For me, that's K-pop, like straight through K-pop. <laughs> I mean, do you think that there's a the SM take a different approach to how they choose their their singles from other um, entertainment companies? Yeah, I think it's completely original because they always they always try to do new stuff. Mm, and they always pick the the songs that are the best, not not from the names on the songs i think yeah they always look for a great song and great, yeah 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 they're not afraid to take the risk well is there anything else you wanted to add today just enjoy the great music and uh, we'll enjoy that you enjoy the great music One of the things that Caesar and Lee mentioned and a lot of the, the people that I spoke to mentioned is how um, dance is really important in K-pop. How, what do you think about that? I think, I think it's pretty important. It's quite an a important role in how fans view a K-pop song. It's usually the songs that have better routines that will last in states of popularity could be because you'll have idols going on shows doing the dances and you'll have comedians mimicking them as well and it it just pushes up the popularity doesn't it mm-hmm. i think also it actually affects the kind of songs that get you know people always compare k-pop so- um, bands to one direction but one direction don't dance and their their music is reflects that you know, it's very different from K-pop in that way. And also you don't really get as much of the kind of club type music that's really popular in the Western pop music industry because it's not very good music for doing synchronised dancing too. With One Direction often being compared to mostly every K-pop group that are male out there is they're not similar and they're not the same in any way. And it is because they don't dance. Their music is a lot, sometimes slower paced, even... The music, which is a bit more up-tempo, is, it's not really something that you can dance to, is it? No, I think so. I think that's the main thing. Also, one of the other things, I can't remember if, if Caesar and Louis talked about it, but um, I know some of the other people we've got coming up did, um, that they'll quite often, the structure of the song is affected by the fact that not all idols are there because they sing. Like, yeah. some of them are there to, to dance. Because they're um, the dancers, to, yeah. So they structured it with dance breaks and with rap breaks and all of that for you know for the purpose of the visuals. It, it's kind of similar to the way that um, Japanese idol groups work in a sense because they play majorly on segregating <laughs> the dancers and the singers. But with K-pop, you get more of a mixture. The dancers will have a line or maybe a word. <laughs> And the rappers will obviously have lines as well that are not just them. And I think that's what makes the songs good as well, because you're playing up on the talents of people, but you're also showing that they can flow well or merge into other things as well. K-pop does it a bit more creatively than J-pop does most of the time, with the exception of a few, like, perfume and people like that. Of course. The structure of that song is very complicated, but each of the parts aren't necessarily that complicated. And uh, with that, um, we'll go a bit into the other person I spoke to today. The only non-composer we spoke to was um, Jakob Dorov, who is a, a journalist based in Seoul, and he writes for Noisy by Vice, a couple of other people, and he's interviewed a few idols. So I spoke to him a bit about what his thoughts were on this, and that was one of the things that we talked about. So this is Jakob Dorov. Hi, Jakob. Um, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Uh, sure. My name is Jakob Dorov. I am a journalist currently based in Seoul, and uh, I do a lot of writing about Korean music in general. And you've interviewed a couple of idol groups I've seen. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I guess Four Minute, Winner, 21, uh, Recently Shiny, which should be coming out soon. And the reason that, that we've talked to you particularly today is you've got a blog called Capendium where you really analyse K-pop songs in depth. Yeah. What, <laughs> why did you decide to do that? It's complicated. I, honestly, I, I appreciate 
the fact that uh, that K-pop fans read it and it's written with them partially in mind. But really, the goal is to to appeal to people who are actually either oblivious to or, or skeptical of K-pop, kind of by constructing a timeline of the entire recorded history of K-pop. Why do you do you think it's sort of such an interesting cultural phenomenon, music-wise? I think that the South Korean music market is a unique one and has developed and then kind of gone off in its own direction after internalizing a lot of Western tropes and ideas and, and continues to do so all the time. Yeah, it's it's kind of, there's it has these odd sort of unique permutations at times. And some of those examples can be really big hit songs in a way that's pretty exciting. One of the things that came up a couple of times when I was talking to the composers that we've been speaking to um, was about language differences. Do you think that the Korean language in terms of obviously the syllable patterns are very different from English? Do you think that that plays a role in sort of how the songs come out? I really I really do think so. It's it's much more of a staccato language. It's Yeah. Yeah, there's it's it's not quite as staccato as Japanese. There's a little bit more kind of ending sounds in there as well. But that adds kind of a stickiness to it that's that's really enjoyable. I think it just it sings really well as a language Korean. There's a lot of so all the composers that we've been speaking to today, they're all European and mm. there's quite a lot of American composers and there's a few Australian composers that write for K-pop and then other parts of Asia as well. What do you think about the role of that in K-pop? Yeah, that's it's interesting. And I know that some fans and some casual observers would, would say, well, you know, what makes this Korean then? But I don't think that's that's really the point. I think what's really interesting there is that these songwriters are largely using K-pop as an outlet for techniques and ideas that don't have a market in the Western world. They're a little too out there. They're a little too, um, yeah, experimental. And, and you, you, you can certainly hear that in something like I Got a Boy or Rum Pum Pum Pum, where I actually know I have it on good authority that um, the people who wrote Red Light for FX originally tried to pitch that to Rihanna. They wrote something for Rihanna, I think, as well. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. And, and that was one of the songs, that was one of the songs that they pitched to her, and they said, uh, this is this is a little too much. You might want to try K-pop, because <laughs> they're much more open-minded. I guess what makes that Korean, then, in a sense, uh, is that the Korean music industry is the, the only one on Earth, presently, that routinely takes songs that are that out there and puts a real budget behind it and the kind of resources required to make it into like a contemporary pop smash. Clearly, the sort of non-Korean people that work in K-pop, they have a very specific idea of what K-pop is. And also a lot of them are saying they put in dance breaks for, you know, so that the, the different idols could showcase their different talents. Do you think that that kind of visual element has a big impact on the music? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you just, you you listen to most K-pop songs, and there's always a remarkable level of detail, rhythmically, and sort of deep background elements, things that kind of lend themselves to choreography. So certainly, the the fact that it's visual music, quote unquote, plays a role in the composition. And I know I've I've heard also that a lot of the times, sometimes the songs and, and choreography are created in tandem, but also the song can be finished in a completed draft and then they'll take it to the choreographer and the choreographer will want to do certain things with it that will in turn inform the next draft of the song and they kind of ping pong back and forth. Everybody by Shiny is one example. I think they, they went through seven iterations of that song. One of the other things we spoke about there uh, was language and Korean is quite a rhythmic language, like it's quite well suited to dance music as a language because it's quite rhythmic. It kind of helps it flow a bit more, especially with the type of music, the genre of music that they generally seem to go towards more often than not. It flows a lot better than English does and that shows sometimes when certain groups add in English phrases or wording. Yeah, I mean, uh, the English translations very rarely work. Yeah. And the English that they use, it's kind of, it doesn't, it has its own purpose. It's not the same as how English speakers might hear it. You know, it's kind of like a little accessory that sounds cool in the chorus or something a lot of the time. Yeah, it generally comes in the parts of the song that they want to stick in your mind a lot more. 
So I think I think that definitely Korean must play a role. Um, I I wonder. I don't know. I've never paid that much attention to it, but I wonder about the Japanese remakes and how well they work. I know speaking from a Japanese, a couple of Japanese friends that um, the lyrics they use are very simple. I don't know if that's because of the rhythmic constraints or if it's just because it's written by people who don't speak very good Japanese. Mm-hmm. I don't really know, but that might be an interesting thing for someone else to think about. <laughs> not us. Uh, not us. Sorry. We've got too many other things to do. Anyway, we're going off on a tangent again. Um, so before we do that, let's go to the next segment. And this is another um, composer from the same publishing company as the first set Caesar and Louis who we spoke to they're, he's kind of their boss um, he part owns the kennel um, this is Eric Lewander and he wrote a couple of songs including Rum Pum 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 by FX, uh, the Japanese single for Girls Generation My Oh My and Boa's Copy and How is working in K-pop different from the other kinds of music you've been involved in? With K-pop, you never know what's going to happen, especially in the session, because the structure of the songs is usually, it needs to keep the interest of the listener. Uh, So a lot of stuff uh, needs to happen to keep the interest, uh, which is kind of different than uh, making just a regular pop song. You need just more elements and both in the track and also in the melody. What do you think it is that makes K-pop unique? I think uh, they're kind of flirting with all different kind of genres, and uh, they're usually always looking for a new, unique touch with with all these different hooks. And um, because of that, they break new grounds by try different things and blend different genres. And sometimes it uh, it pops up a song and everyone loves it all over the world because it's it's new and fresh. Once you've produced it, do you ever think that a song that you've written is going to be a hit? When you're in the writing process, you never know. I mean, you can really love the song and feel like, wow, this is a really good song. But it's actually when you realise that it's going to be a cut with a major artist like uh, Girls' Generation or or shiny or FX or and if it's a single you realize that this is probably going to be massive so that was Eric Lewander um one other thing that I'm about to go on to we'll go back to um Jakob Doroff in a minute because the conversation that I had with him was quite long so we've got it in a few parts um but one of the things that we touched on that I've written about a little bit before we've discussed quite a few times um is the difference in quality in terms of single releases between girl groups and boy groups. My understanding, based on... I've looked at charts and stuff, is that because girl bands don't tend to have the fan bases that boy bands have, um, but they have more public appeal and it's easy for easier for them to get um, advertising deals, which is really where a lot of bands make their money. Um, so therefore, they care more about making a good song which means I think in general looking purely at the singles girl bands tend to have better songs yeah I I think it's got something to do with the fact that they often do shows for people in the military as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that has an effect on it because you have to bear in mind that a lot of them people are spending two years often a bit longer depending on on what role they've been given and what they're doing there they say that girl groups kind of help them along I just think that kind of ensures that girl groups are just a little better maybe a little more put together than the guy groups but those fans like the military and stuff they're not very loyal in the same way that boy band fans are so there are a lot of boy bands that produce really good music Mm. but I don't think they necessarily have to produce music as at as high a quality in order to be successful. Jacob and I talked about that as well in quite a lot of detail, so we'll play that now and then we'll come back and talk, chat about something else. <laughs> 
Looking purely domestically for for a minute, um, girl bands tend to be much more popular with the public than boy bands, and then boy bands have much more um, loyal fan bases. Um, do you think that means that the idol companies spend more time making a hit song for girl bands? I don't know. It's it's tough to say because the boy groups are ultimately much more lucrative because the uh, the girl fans, the young women who this music is made to appeal to. They become very loyal and they, they want to purchase all the different merchandise and CDs. And I mean, you can just look at something like EXO where people will buy, you know, 10 different copies of the album just to get all the different covers and, and things like that. You really don't see almost any of that among the girl groups. I think Girls' Generation is, is kind of renowned, renowned for being the one girl group that can actually sell. But for whatever reason, you, you might be onto something because I do think that in general, and there are obviously exceptions, but in general, the girl groups have more interesting and more developed music in general. Like I just, if you would create a master list of all of the K-pop songs that I like most, it would be heavily skewed toward, towards girl groups for sure. I think part of it might be also that um, a lot of really popular composers tend to write more for girl groups. Like Shin Sarong Tiger mostly writes for women brave brothers mostly well he's done stuff for teen top and a couple other people and um double sidekick as well i think yeah i wonder what that is see i think that as a single it's probably more lucrative yeah you might be right i'd have to, we'd have to i guess look into the numbers for that but if maybe singles sell more for girl groups and, and albums i actually wrote about this oh, um it was something like i think 2013 or 2014 there's something like 17 of the top 100 um digital singles were girl groups and then only something like two were boy boy bands and i think they were big bang (laughs) so right i think that also might be a function of um streaming counting towards sales here so again the sales the the actual sales are perhaps on the lower end uh in general but those songs get streamed more you've talked to a few k-pop bands have you ever have they ever said anything to you about their ideas about sort of what k-pop music is or stands for <laughs> well it's a bit deep but you know sure, occasionally no, no, no. they come out with interesting no, things certainly i've certainly asked that question or tried to on a few occasions but but those are the kinds that don't typically get through or, or get very general responses but I did actually actually ask something like that to Jong Hyun because he's actually a songwriter in Shiny. And he didn't have anything to say big picture, but speaking for himself, um, he's extremely interested in rhythm, um, not just you know in a percussive drum kind of sense, but but also in the vocal line and in the melody making making melodies more rhythmical, which is interesting to me because to me, K-pop melody lines seem much more melodic than Western ones tend to be and much more developed, but they're also really paying close attention to how they work rhythmically. The next interview that, that I'm going to play is with Will Sims. Will Sims, if you don't know who Will Sims is, he is one of the better known international K-pop composers, I think. Mostly because his songs are very distinctive. Um, he wrote I Got a Boy by Girls' Generation, In Wolf by EXO. What? For a very long time, I thought that they were saying, I've got a boy in my shoe. I thought it was I got a boy in my chin. I thought that was what we all thought it was. There you go. I thought it was in or my some, shoe. Some people thought it was I got a boy, like the second bit was I got a boy chicken. I um, thought it was as well. It's an interesting song, though, and I'm glad that Will Sims wrote it. First of all, can you tell us a bit about yourself and the K-pop songs that you've written? Well, sure. So, uh, as you know, my name is Will Sims. I'm French-born, but I live in England, and I, uh, I've i been making K-pop for uh, a few years now, and some of the songs I have made are things such as I Got a Boy from Girls' Generation, uh, Wolf from EXO, Happiness from Red Velvet. Uh, recently, I've also done Woof Woof for uh, Shiny on the new album. Uh, also songs with FX, 
uh, on the Red Light album, uh, and many, many more. Um, so, obviously, you've written a lot of big K-pop songs. What do you think it is that makes a K-pop hit? Is there something different about it from other sort of hip-hop songs? I think so. I think, first of all, I think the 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 melodies in K-pop are very specific. So they're quite rhythmical, they change a lot, uh, and they're quite quite fun as well it can be sweet they can be fun they can be you know but they're they're always very uh they're always very rhythmic they have to kind of be fresh and uh, entertaining and same thing they got to keep the you know the audience guessing a little bit there's there's a lot of elements of surprises cool little quirky sounds and it's just generally fun at least the k-pop that i've sort of been involved in which is like more of the you know the, the up-tempo stuff, the party stuff. So what's your production process usually like for K-pop tracks? It really depends. For, I think for me, actually, one of the things that I do in K-pop that I've been doing, certainly, is uh, I try to, even before I start making anything, it's like I start to think of a concept. So is dance something that's important to think about for you when you're um, writing a K-pop song? Yeah, also, because, of course, they are going to be... Uh, once you've thought of the concept and you can sort of build the world around it, then you think, okay, how are they going to dance to that? How can you make them perform that concept? So you then start using certain sounds and certain rhythms with that concept that will uh, that, to keep in mind the choreography. So what is it that makes K-pop different from other forms of pop music, in your opinion? Well, K-pop is kind of a little bit more adventurous I feel than other styles of pop music you know it's a little bit more it's a little bit more uh, yeah adventurous they want to try different things you know it's it's good to try different things and also because there is such a sort of you know performance element to it um, it's uh, it's kind of like it feels like it you have to make the music a little bit grander than when you make traditional pop music you've got to make it a little bit more eventful and and uh, show show like you know it's like the music has to be a show because there is going to be a show that goes with it a lot of other pop music can be very simple and very kind of just like okay we just write a, a nice pop song and make it easy and simple and that's it but with k-pop you have to think you know you have to try to make it different you have to surprise and make it a big show so that's that's yeah that's how it differs for me Great. Um, thank you so much for your time. I'll, I'll let you get back to whatever it is you're doing now. Um, yeah, I'm just like I'm walking the dog, and I've got my my son in the play park at the same time. So. <laughs> <Bit hectic. Yeah. laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for, for your, your time. time. Do you think that K-pop has changed over the last kind of like, well, since sort of 2008? 2008 is where um, sort of the achievement gap in production value uh, between Korea and say Japan or the United States vanished. So before then, oftentimes K-pop songs in their videos and wouldn't look or, or sound quite as good. But I think it was beginning with Nobody by the Wonder Girls where that really started to change around it. And there was like a new standard. Um, that was kind of an apocal moment. Stylistically, uh, yeah, I would, I would say there's, it's, it's changed in a way that's proportional to shifts in global popular music trends because K-pop is constantly looking towards the West and Japan and, and all around the world for different ideas and incorporating them in kind of interesting, sometimes unique ways. Yeah, it's just, I think it continues to sort of um, spiral out in different directions. And it's hard to talk about K-pop as, as any one given genre because in fact, it's many, and oftentimes it's many happening at the same time. Where do you see K-pop going next in terms of music? Uh, it's, it's hard to say, I, I've noticed in general, a bit of a retrenchment on behalf of SM recently. Certainly, they still put out some pretty progressive, weird stuff, even as singles, like with um, Ice Cream Cake by Red Velvet earlier this year. But if you compare 
the songs that say EXO debuted with to their new album, which is an album I really enjoy, but it's, it's much more straightforward as pop music. It's not as weird and proggy and <laughs> kind of multi-directional as something like Wolf is. Um, and I'm very curious to see uh, FX's supposed comeback sometime this summer because they're like, they've always been the most out there group of all of them, I think, um, musically. If you mention um, EXO, when they came out with Wolf and then they came out with Grill, Grill was a much more straightforward song and it did much better in the charts. Yeah, that's true. There is a uh, definitely a sort of, it's like a local flavor in, in Korea to have these kind of experimental, strange songs that go massive here sometimes. But it's it's also not completely distinct from other music markets. There's also, you know, a real appreciation for more straightforward pop music as, as there would be anywhere else in the world. But you're right. Maybe maybe trends like that got SM thinking that maybe they should dial it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget the name of all of them, the names of all of them. But EXO's debut songs were even weirder than Wolf. I thought. Yeah. Um, like history. And history some of those was ones. the pre-debut one, and then they had oh, what was pre-debut. it called? <laughs> a, a sex. Ma- I mean, as a marketing concept, EXO are fascinating. But also, I wonder if that's part of it, especially with boy bands, is that they do things that are a bit more out there while they're developing their fan base. And then once they've got this massive fan base that they can rely on, they they just try and come out with catchy songs. Uh, that'd be interesting. I, yeah, I, I gotta think about that more. But that's it'd be interesting because that's the exact opposite of how it works in the Western music markets. And I mean, yeah, because you say FX are kind of the weirdest, and FX are the band that's been marketed as a sort of anti-idol is, is, is too far, but, you know, they don't have a fan name, so they're very much aimed at the public, and their music is more experimental than a lot of other music. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful they exist, and I, I hope they continue to. <laughs> what, I mean, what do you think it is that makes K-pop, what makes it most unique? I would say that that would be its willingness to incorporate tons of different genres, gestures, ideas, really traditional songwriting techniques with very experimental ones, all these things going on sometimes within the span of a single song and just being very complex and and sophisticated in a way that mainstream pop music especially sort of teen pop, as you might call it, uh, very seldom is elsewhere in the world. Um, and for me, that's, that's what's most interesting about it and, and perhaps the one unique or really standout eccentricity you can point to in, 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 in K-pop. We were just talking to Will Sims, and then after that we heard um, Jakob Duroff, the last part of my uh, conversation with him. And one of the things that we touched on was the fact that Korea has sort of caught up with the West since about 2008. He, in his blog, um, Kpendium, he talked about Nobody by Wonder Girls being kind of the the watershed moment in terms of quality. He also pointed out, you should all go and read this blog um, if you are as much of a geek as I am. He pointed out, and this is I've never noticed this, but that song has the exact same chord structure as... I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I never noticed that. Oh. <laughs> I kind of just thought that was the theme that they were going with. I mean, I know, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess I never thought about it. Okay, Sasha's better at music than me. Well sorry. done. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's lots of other interesting things that you might not know <laughs> um, in his blog, so you should go and check it out. And with that, I think that we should go into our final interview for today, um, which was, as I mentioned briefly before, Design Music, who have, well, I don't even know where you start with Design Music because they've produced everything. I mean, they do a lot of songwriting camps with SM, so they work with all different songwriters, so they co-write hundreds of songs. They've written for everyone, um, mostly SM, but also other um, people, I think, Sasha's new favourite band, Boys Republic, who are coming to, we're giving them a free plug, they're coming to Europe in July, 
I'm pretty sure one of their songwriters was involved in video game. Absolutely not going to kidnap them. It's not going to no. happen. No. I don't whether they no. want to come with chicken in a van. She's going to be on her best behaviour. I am. I, I'm not going to squeal and run up and down. That's not going to happen. <laughs> no. Anyway, <laughs> before we get ourselves in trouble, here is Design Music. Hello! We're Design Music and we're so honoured to be on your blog. We got some questions. We're going to try and answer as well as we can. So let's start. What do you think makes a K-pop hit? And is there something different about K-pop songs compared to other successful pop songs? Shoot! It's got more parts, maybe? Yeah, it's got several more parts because sometimes K-pop bands have more members, you know, nine members and everybody needs a part where they can shine and show off their voice and and it's it's very colorful, very eclectic in a mix of all different styles, I think. But I think the the gap between K-pop and 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 uh, music in in other countries or other parts of the world it's kind of closing. It's getting smaller. Yeah, it is. yeah. And K-pop is really uh, I think uh, a lot of songs they are really Americanized. They're urban. Really, yeah, urban really? songs. And I also think that that um, the main difference is maybe because of the language and how it, it's it's. Structured, at least compared to English songs, yeah. where you have shorter words, more words. Yeah. So, so when it comes to the melody and top lines, you you have to kind of consider that more syllables yes, more in the syllables. top line. And I, I personally think, in the, in the, in a way, it's more you can it allows you to be creative. Yes. Working on the K-pop, it's sometimes so crazy that it's like. And creativity is allowed, yeah. so you can be more creative, and you don't have to. There's less boundaries. Yeah, I think that's the biggest difference. I think. Question number two: What are the key elements of a good K-pop track? <laughs> I think again, it goes back to what we said. Every track that we've done, the, the the biggest hits we've had, that could have been a song for any other part of the world. Mostly, usually. I mean, there are a few expe- exceptions. But I think uh, now nowadays the track has to be as good as anything you hear on American radio yeah, or, or European radio. I think there's not the difference is really small now than it used to be. Yeah. And I also think like when you make a K-pop track, you have to think of choreography, dance moves. Mm. I mean, like the, the yeah, it's really vi- visual. Yeah, very it? visual. You have to think very visual when you make a K-pop track. Question number three: What is your production process like? Crazy! <laughs> that I can say. It's crazy. Mostly we, we write, or we, we make the track first. Mm. Yeah. And then write the top line, mm. the, the top lines on top of it. Not every time, but, but I think in 90% yeah. of, the, of, the, of the songs, I think we, we, we kind of created the track first and then doing... Um, Find a top line that works. Melodies and, 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 and lyrics to, to, to fit with the, the concept that we have in mind. Mm. Mm. Come up with a cool hook. And then build a song around that. And sometimes it takes time. I mean, process. We might have a track, but we don't have a song. We don't mm. have the, the the melodic hook on the track, no. and that can take several months. I mean, that can a lot of songs that we written. It, it takes time. So it could yeah. take fifteen minutes. It, it could, could take, take yeah a couple of months or a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. It could take a while. Yeah. That's it then. Thank you for having us on your hope, blog. And... Hope you got the answers that you <laughs> needed. Have a good day. Bye. ガタグレチャンネルがどうせ好きかけたかがけ表情でるようなまのぬくみはこう目先でどんなファンタシーライ俺かなどねって表情チェガミョクシュファッシュレオンチェオリファナヘッピーかてスクピッチャンネルのマ
if you had to pick one, what song do you think represents the ultimate K-pop hit? Yeah, there are probably several. Of course, I Got a Boy, I really like. Because it's, as I mentioned before, it's a lot of different parts that, that makes it interesting and uh, pure fun, I would say. Not only fun, but uh, exciting and uh, energy. Energy is a good word for all the K-pop songs. There is energy, even in the in the slow ballads, like the the R and B ish kind of vibe ballads. There's still this energy that makes you attracted to the song. And which of the songs that you worked on is the best example of a great K-pop song in your opinion? I think Genie. Absolutely. What we did for Girls' Generation. It's an example. We wrote. We had a track, and we wrote three songs on the same track. We, we, we changed a little bit the track last uh, the version and, and we wrote totally, it, I mean, those songs were so different and I think that's the really kind of uh, a good example of how it can change from just another pop song to great hit, big hit in, in, in Asia. And... Yeah, I feel that has like the perfect structure mm. and it just goes to show like Girls Generation at that time had nine members and all of the members had a part where they could shine and show off their talents and mm. And I really like that one. Yeah. Wolf is cool. Yeah. And I have to mention, of course, I Got a Boy, which yeah. was huge and so much fun to, to do and really was a great time. And you can be really crazy and just go with wild creativity. If you had to pick one song that you think most represents what a sort of the perfect K-pop song would be, what would you choose? Oh my God, that's a very hard question. Honestly, there are just so many. I just couldn't, I couldn't just choose one because there are so many different little, you know, things in K-pop. Uh, too hard to choose. Uh, well, I have to say, actually, um, I've interviewed a couple of guys from the kennel in Sweden and they both said yeah. I got a boy, so... Oh, <laughs> um, well, great. All right, well, there you go. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. I mean, you know, I, I, there's a lot of K-pop songs that... I love it. There's just so many. So many. I've heard so many different songs that I can't choose one, unfortunately. Everything that's made with K-pop in mind and a lot of, you know, they're all perfect for K-pop. What do you think are some sort of big K-pop hits that really represent what makes K-pop so interesting? Yeah, I'll agree with a lot of the uh, producers that you've spoken to in mentioning I Got a Boy by Girls' Generation as being perhaps the prime example of just an exceptionally strange, uh, adventurous, bizarre song that became really massive, not just in Korea, but also around Asia. That being, yeah, an example of one end of, of the K-pop spectrum, I think. You could also keep it with Girls' Generation and mentioning another example like G, which is more straightforward as a song and it kind of represents more of that, um, you know, bubblegum pop, highly melodic, super well-constructed K-pop sound that's also very popular here. Um, and then there's a broad spectrum of things that kind of fall between the two. But I think you can have two ends of the spectrum with uh, Girls' Generation. So Sasha, yep. spoke to all of these um, songwriters. Um, they had a very strong idea of what they thought K-pop a hit K-pop song would be, and all of them pretty much came down on the side of "I Got a Boy" being the ultimate K-pop song. No, no. Okay, I don't think you agree. Well, it's not my favorite song, but I think that it kind of it's an important song in terms of like the development of k-pop okay like you can add it to a top 20 of top k-pop songs but no way am i putting that at one i'm sorry what would you say was your your song in that case your ultimate representative of k-pop song shiny ring ding dong oh no <laughs> that's no <laughs> really i really like their new song i think that'd be an that's an interesting addition to the K-pop canon that is of Stop note. It. It's good. And they use house music, which is interesting. If it's not I Got A Boy... It's not I Got A Boy. I don't care. And it's not Ring Ding Dong. 
it's not ring ding dong um what is it you know, i think a lot of people would say like fantastic baby but yeah that was one that came to my head i don't know at first i really did like that song and when it kept being played again and again and again and it really got on my nerves mm-hmm. and i presume that if it's like an ultimate song it's not supposed to piss you off as much as that did i don't know something by super junior maybe well i thought one thing we didn't because right well what they were saying what they thought made a k-pop song and this is from their point of view most these songwriters mostly write for sm entertainment but they do write big hit songs so they know what they're talking about they would say you know it's got to be upbeat and memorable danceable rhythms lots of um lots of different elements to it an opportunity for all members regardless of their sort of skill set to show off their strengths one that came to my mind and we when i was talking to these guys we mostly talked about songs that were written from foreign by foreign composers so i was trying to think of songs written by korean composers yeah and one that came to my mind was um roly poly by tiara by shinsodong tiger because that was massive when it came out it was and and it has a lot of those things and it's quite quirky but at the same time it's really simple that's actually um, very true people do really really love that song yeah and yeah now they pretend that they never did but anyway yeah so i thought that would be quite a good one um shinsarong tiger's written a lot of songs that i think are perhaps worthy of of inclusion in the list of most notable k-pop songs i mean up and down by yxid it's got a lot of the things that make K-pop songs really... I still really like that song. That's one of the... I think, like, a lot of K-pop songs, they get they can get a bit tiring and you have to, like, leave them for a while and then come back to them. But I think Shin Tiger Tiger's quite good at writing songs that don't do that. Yeah, they don't get on your nerves. They don't make you think, mm. oh, I don't actually want to listen to you. Although I have to say, like, I know that you don't like Girls' Generation, mm. but Design Music, who he's booked to, wrote Genie, and I think that's a really well-constructed pop song, and I, st- I still listen to it. Not going to lie, Genie was a great song. <laughs> it really was. I really liked it, and the dance was great, and the video wasn't so bad. I, don't, I think everything together. Maybe that's the ultimate song. Because people would say G, and G was probably more popular. Yeah, I wasn't that into it. I think... The melody is more likable in Genie. Like, G is memorable, but it gets annoying after a while. Whereas Genie is is a cleverer song. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't get annoying in the same way that G does. It's very true. But I think also, I think at the end of this conclusion to this song is that people we spoke to say, I got a boy. But actually, <laughs> one of the things that Jakob mentioned is that K-pop's not really a genre, it's an industry. So... How can you have one song that represents a whole industry? It's Maybe true. it's a silly pursuit sort of a question. You can't, can you? You can't have one song that uh, kind of is the ultimate K-pop song. It's not possible. And mm-hmm. I don't know, we didn't even mention like TVXQ in it because they had yeah. fucking lots of songs well, that I still to this day love. Marotic is... It's always a, a classic. Oh, don't. That was my of song. Of the genre. That, that was... When I mourned for them, okay, that was my <laughs> song. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, TVXQ, that's another one. I mean, we've got... We haven't mentioned Boa. She's, you know, oh, queen of yeah. K-pop. I don't like the fact that we've not mentioned Infinite. I love Infinite. See, Infinite represent... I don't... What do Infinite represent? Dancing. They are said and to good... be, like... 99.9% correct with their precision and their moves, which if you watch some of their like practice <laughs> videos mm-hmm. it's ridiculous how in sync they are and yet, you know, they, they're known in Korea but really it's, you know, they live on their fan base, they don't live on popularity, so their songs maybe don't chart as high, but they're always come number one in the album charts I thought it's a bit concerning to me because it's like they do come out with a lot of very good songs and they just don't really get anywhere but it doesn't matter does it it doesn't affect them whether whether they come top or not they kind of still continue i don't know i mean they've got a lot of you know they've got a a lot of good songs but yeah i mean there are a lot of like newer groups that are coming out with a lot of quite good songs like bts really not into that group but I quite liked their song, I Need You. That was quite a good song. I liked the chorus a lot. That's been doing really well in Korea. I saw it on the charts the other day and it was in the top 10. Those hip-hop boy bands, 
do better in the charts yeah. than other boy bands because they have a wider appeal. Of course, they, they cross over. They have more of an appeal, and they especially have more of an appeal when they have underground rappers, and then they get the sarcasm and the insults, and it's wrong. <laughs> so maybe we should like have a look at. We should be looking at Block B or something as well. Like, there's so many. I don't think I've just I've just come to the conclusion that I've asked a very silly question that doesn't have an answer. <laughs> you can't really judge it, can you? Loads of people will have their opinions. There'll be a lot of fans that will think a lot of different things. Maybe we need to ask readers or listeners in this case what they think is the ultimate. Also, haven't mentioned Cara. We haven't mentioned Sistar. But yeah, I mean, we've come to the end of this, right? And we've decided that this is a silly question. So one thing that I was talking to Jakob about was he was wanting to talk to us more about, like, and more to do with that and how the music, there's different strands of Korean pop music and different strands of K-pop and how that works and stuff. So I think maybe what we should do is come back probably not the next episode but the episode after, come back with with an episode about the Korean music industry and how it works and maybe a bit about the history of K-pop. We should. I think that'd be a good topic. A lot more that can be discussed here. We've already had plenty of discussion today. It's not really an open and closed topic, is it? It's not, no. It's really... We've been writing about it for two and a half years and we're nowhere near done. We're really not. I think if that is something that you would be interested in, let us know. Also, the question that Sasha asked, you know, what what do you think represents the ultimate K-pop or song or songs? All the contact details will be at the end of the podcast. And cool. until next time, that's that's it really, unless you've got anything to add, Sasha. I do not. Safe journeys. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed this podcast. The two songs featured in this episode were Between the Night and Music and Are You Ready by B.I.G. Before we go, we'd like to thank all the people who helped make this happen. Thanks to Anna Judith Wick, Ronnie Svensson and Nerman Harren Basic from Design Music for talking to us and Robin Jensen for organising it. Eric Lewander, Caesar and Louis as well as Pernilla from The Kennel. Of course, also Will Sims and Jakob Doro for their time speaking to us. Finally, thanks to GH Entertainment for allowing us to use their music and Jasmine Stone for all her help. As always, you can find us over on beyondhalu.com. If you want to get in touch, contact us via our various social media outlets or send us an email. It's podcast at beyondhalu.com. Until next time, thank you for listening. Let go.